Hey guys, this is Rob and welcome to question number 22. What can a photojournalist teach me about realizing your calling? Oh my gosh. What? Is that too cheesy of a title? Oh, yes. I feel like every title sounds like this. Okay, how can we, what's like a better, what's a better title for this? Well, I don't. You don't know what it's about? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the deal. Alex Potter. It's a good name. That's a great name. A nurse turned photojournalist. Her story is awesome. Mm. I sat down with her, grabbed coffee, and her story is she went to school to be a nurse. Then she decided to take some time off nursing and follow her passion of photojournalism to become a photographer, but not just a photographer, a photographer that tells stories with her photos that makes an impact. I think that's a photojournalist. I should just describe every... And then what a nurse is. <laughs> Someone who has a real interest in healing people using medicine right. and other techniques. <laughs> okay. Okay, yes. I'd never met Alex before. Friend of a friend. I've got interview assassins out there. Don't you think they're, they should be called fixers? Fixers. Isn't that oh. the term? Well, like any of those shows, like a travel show, someone is behind the scenes that kind of sets things up. And not that people are that helpful to you, but like... They're kind of like a fixer. That's actually really like good. Like a fixer in, say you go to Dubai, he says, okay, this is the restaurant you need to go to. Yeah. So I've got some fixers out there because when I started this podcast, I knew one of the things I wanted to do, not only did I want to sit down with people that I knew or look up to or respect, I wanted to sit down with people that I had never met before because that to me is the most interesting thing. Someone that is not in my natural circle, sitting down with them, picking their brain, hearing their story and seeing what I can learn from them. And that was Alex. She was in town for, I think she was in the States for, she had four or five days off. This is one of those interviews, some interviews take longer than others to set up and schedule. This is one of those that we had been talking about for a good four months because she's just out of the States, out of the country. Is this boring? No. Anyways. I just have nothing to add. Okay. So we had been in communication for the past few months. Finally, she was going to be in the States and we were going to be in the same city, sat down. Okay. Well, you can help me with, you can help me with the name of this then. Well, tell me the name again. What can a photojournalist teach me about realizing your calling? I feel like all of your titles lately have been like, what can a blah, blah, blah show me about blah, blah, blah. Okay. I'm going to have you title this Gotta one. Gotta be quippier, then. buddy. Okay, quippy. Here we go. Sit down with Alex. Mm -hmm. She's a nurse. Grew yeah. up here in Minnesota. Studied nursing college. Pursued her dream of photojournalism. She gets overseas, takes her all over the world. We talk about that uh, in this interview. She finds herself in war zone. She finds her place in a situation that is oversaturated with photojournalists. Mm. But all of a sudden, she connects with someone that says, hey, what we actually need, if you want to stick around here, we actually really need a nurse. Yeah. So here she finds herself going over for one thing, but keeping an open mind to whatever the situation needs. And she finds herself, I mean, surrounded by a ton of dying people in this war zone. Mm -hmm. She's a nurse. She graduated from college. <laughs> I would hope as a nurse, she graduated from college. Yeah, she graduated. <laughs> yeah, she graduated. Oh, I'm a nurse. I just call myself a nurse. <laughs> I just call myself a nurse. She said, I'm going to give myself something like three to five years to be a photojournalist. And if it doesn't work out, I can always fall back on my nursing career. Mm -hmm. As we were talking, I realized I did the same thing with music. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. gave my, I gave myself till I was 30 and I had a massive list. What? It's cold. It's chilly. We're sitting outside, not the dining room table. We're in our backyard. Anyways. You were 30. I was 30. I said I was going to give myself till I'm 30 to accomplish these things. Like small goals of like, I want to record on this many albums. I want to do like a bus tour. I want to do like an overseas touring and stuff like that. 
And the final thing to check off on my bucket list before I was 30, I checked off on that flight over to Japan on my 30th birthday. What was the thing? To travel to Japan on your 30th birthday? Do an overseas <laughs> tour. And we were starting our Asia tour. I had toured and we had, we'd done like one-offs in Japan mm-hmm. and Asia. But it was for a full month-long tour. But it was crazy because mm-hmm. then on my 30th birthday, I celebrated my birthday twice, actually, when I left and when we landed. Time travel. Woo-hoo. So basically, no one needs to listen any further. Do you have any better title? I'm trying to think. Because, you, you know, it's not particularly like a lighthearted conversation you're having with her. You know what I mean? You know what I actually do realize? I suck at small talk sometimes. Mm, yeah, I could see that. I feel like small talk is big talk. That's actually a Ugh, quote. That sounds stupid. Younger. What does it mean? A lot of people downplay small talk oh. in conversations. Yeah. But actually, small talk is actually super necessary. Yeah. Well, I just heard on a podcast... Not this one. This one? The you one, listen, the, are you the cheating one on other podcast I listened to. They, they were talking about a recent study that they completed on like the subway in New York City. And they were trying to see if people felt better, whatever you, I don't know how they defined it, but um, better if you were to ride the subway and not talk to anyone, just stick to yourself, have your own time, relax, or start up some small talk with the person mm-hmm. next to you. So they had people who volunteered to do it. Some people just stay on the subway and they were told, if any time someone wants to talk to you, don't don't let them. Don't cause a scene, but just like put on your headphones, read a book. Yeah. And then they had other people who were on the subway and they were supposed to try to chat with the person next to them. And afterwards, by far the majority of people felt better after having chatted with someone than having ridden the subway and stuck to themselves. And kind of the takeaway of the study was, even though we feel like it's not going to end up this way and we're so communication-driven and stuck on our phones that humans desire contact with other humans, even Mm. if it's just chatting on the subway. Holy crap, you just took that really deep. Well, that was my assessment of it. Interesting. And even the people who volunteered were like, oh, I'm sure I'm going to prefer to have been to myself and stuck to myself and not talk to anyone. But in yeah. the end, they were like, I'm actually really glad I talked to the person next to me. 100%. But I also have many girlfriends who ride the bus and have had men literally start peeing next to them <laughs> or masturbating. So, you know, there are some uh, <laughs> other things that can come up. So I understand yeah, see, why people have an aversion. Yeah. See, I thought when I used to not like small talk, I, that's what I thought small talk was. It made me really uncomfortable and I felt like I needed to be peeing in front of people, <laughs> uh, <laughs> pulling down my pants. But really that subways. does happen. You have friends that actually Oh, all to? the time. One girl <laughs> last spring was at a bus stop by our old office Yeah. and there was a man there completely naked. In at, Minneapolis. At like 9 a.m. in North Minneapolis. I mean, it, the stories are common. So I get why. Like, that's why I don't talk to people when I take the bus or something. Because yeah. they're probably all crazy. But I guess not in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I totally botched my, you know, inspiring story. Anyway, back to your title. Basically, she's a nurse. She's a photojournalist. But then in order to be there, she has to be a nurse. And then she becomes a photojournalist. It's like something about going to the edge of the universe and back again, and then back again. That's kind of my general hmm. title vibes. Because edge of the universe could be literal. I mean, she went to the other side of the world, and yeah. also her career. How would you put that into a question? I know, that's where I'm stuck. That's what makes all these titles so damn hard. And fun. 
Well, you haven't been consulting me on the titles lately, so that's why they've gone downhill. <laughs> <laughs> that's why last week had success in the title. Ugh. Yeah. I am going to put up in there, we do talk about, she references a diagram of finding your calling. And the diagram, is, I pulled it up and I found it yeah. later. And it's three circles. And each of those circles, one of them is, can you make money from it? One of those circles is, are you good at it? And then another circle, I think, is, do you enjoy it? Do mm-hmm. you like it? There's better things. I'm going to put up that diagram, if you're interested, on the website. And the sweet spot is in the middle. And the sweet spot's in the middle. Yeah. And it shows where the circles interact, and it goes way deeper. But it's really interesting. So we talk about like finding your calling and finding your sweet spot. Can you take your career to the edge of the universe and back again? Dot, dot, dot. And then back again. Hey guys, this is Rob and welcome to question number 22. Can you take your career to the edge of the universe and back? It's my conversation with photojournalist Alex Potter. Longest intro ever. Do you think it should be universe or world? Which one feels better? (laughs) I'll say world. Hey guys, this is Rob and welcome to question number 22. Can you take your career to the edge of the world and back? It's my interview with... What happened? Uh, at this point, everybody knows what the interview's about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Alex Potter. You know, you know what have made this whole thing a little bit easier? Ugh, tell me. A Guinness. Mm, agreed. Better fix it. Quickly. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. tasted anything quite like this before. Oh, this tastes interesting. Oh, you know what this tastes like? A milkshake. A milkshake? Mmm. <laughs> oh, you know what this tastes like? Every other freaking Guinness I've ever had. Oh, this tastes different. You know what this reminds me of? <laughs> <laughs> Mother's milk. You do have the best memory, so I uh, would not doubt for a second that your memory would go that uh, far back. It makes me uncomfortable. I took it too far. I regret it. <laughs> you took it way too far. I had I had someone approach me in public recently. I'm not even kidding that I just met, and they said, "Oh yeah, like so your podcast. Like, are you are you all about like drinking and like beer?" They listen to it, and I feel like I should reiterate. Here's the deal. I've said it before. I'll say it again. All the greatest and deepest conversations I've had in my life have been over either an awesome pint of beer or a drink of some sort. It doesn't have to be alcohol, although there is something about, I'm not talking about partying, but there is something about having someone over at your table. Conversation flows. It's not called a social lubricant for nothing. Uh, but you know, that could be coffee. This week, for instance, Alex and I sat down over coffee. <sighs> I'm just glad I don't have to deal with sponsors or else I would have to tell you that if it were my choice, that drink would always be a Guinness. The greatest conversations flow like mother's milk <laughs> when you're drinking Guinness. Unless you're a mother with clogged ducks. <laughs> I'm <gonna> spit my <laughs> Guinness out. That's funny. Okay. I mean, it's not funny when it's happening. For those of you, <laughs> let's transition. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, hard transition. For any of you that have been following this podcast, fans, listeners, friends of the podcast, you know that every week we ask Sarah a question. Those questions come from you, the listeners, and you can do that on iTunes. <sighs> I mean, let's be real. iTunes iOS 11 came out, the new podcasting app. It's easier than ever to scroll down, rate five stars, and leave a comment. Super easy. But I thought to myself when starting this podcast, how can we make those comments a little bit more interesting than just leaving a comment about the podcast? You leave a comment asking Sarah a question to be read on this podcast. Now, I get a ton of questions that come in either through the hotline, which we'll talk about in a minute, or the website. But the first questions we go to and we pull from are always iTunes comments. That said, this week, no iTunes comments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this question comes from the website thecuriouspod.com. Head over there if you want to see an interactive map that you can click on and see where all these conversations have been recorded. Also, go to thecuriouspod.com slash contact. goes to me directly, so reach out. Love to have you part of this conversation. Moving Touch on. Touch me, babe. Touch me, babe. Can't you see that I am not afraid? <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on. Now. Touch me, babe. Can't you see This question's from Josh. <laughs> what is something that's really popular right now, but in five years, everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by? One word, and it sounds like two words. Jamberry. What's jamberry? <laughs> Go jamberry on. is uh, these, I don't even exactly know what they are made out of, but it's hmm. basically a are stick these. on, what? Jamberry are these, or it is these? Jamberries are? I'm not sure. Okay. Let it play out. All right. Jamberries so is these. So jamberries, jamberry, I don't know, singular, plural. They're basically stick-on nail applications. They look like nail polish, but they're stickers, but not stickers. And you have to go to like one of those parties at someone's house. You know, one of those classic pyramid schemes that suburbans <laughs> love very much. Anyway, and the oh, company's man. called Jamberry, and they are terrible. So it's really popular right now, you're saying? Mm, it was popular probably more like three years ago. Popular with the Suburbans? Yes. If someone's listening and they maybe are a Jamberry associate. Consultant, I'm sure. Are we going to offend some people here? <sighs> Say la vie. There you um, go. Also. Oh, keep this going. You know, I think the funny thing that I've been reflecting on lately in my free time is how today's high schoolers are wearing the fashions of my childhood. And this is my first time, as someone who's under 30, my first time seeing something that I have worn before come back again. And it feels weird. Anyway, sidetrack. Brilliant. Jamberry. They suck. Jamberry and mom jeans. I'm anti all weird pyramid schemes that are only available to people who join weird clubs. You know what I'm talking about, you essential oilers. <laughs> and I only mean the ones that are in the pyramid scheme, not the ones that are regular that you can buy at the co-op. The only <laughs> pyramid scheme I'll stand behind <laughs> is Tupperware, because it is timeless. That's awesome. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for your question, Josh. Keep your questions coming in, folks. Ting. Keep your questions coming in. Go to iTunes. Five stars only. And leave a comment. And in that comment, leave a question for Sarah. Also, the hotline. I didn't send a social media call out to people for a question for you to answer in the hotline. But I am fascinated by how many people come up to me or message me and ask me what the hotline is. Like what the number is? Yeah, it's like this. It's this interesting ratio of a person that is curious enough, curious enough to ask me about what the hotline is, but not curious enough to call the number and find out for themselves. Oh, they're not asking for the number. They're saying, "What is it?" Yeah. Oh. 
The hotline. Always call numbers. Oh, you see a number, you call it. I've been saying that for years. Because the worst case, you just hang up. If you have something you want to say to me, something you want to say, a story about how this podcast has impacted you, or you've liked, maybe you hate this podcast. Uh, maybe you have a question for Sarah that we can play on the next podcast. Call the hotline. Enough of that. Then we're the hotcast. <laughs> <laughs> the number to the podcast pod line is 612-584-9330 or you can just find that on the website because chances are you're driving and you're listening to this. No one's writing this down. Check it out. Numbers on the website. Moving on. Let's go to the bathroom. Let's wrap this up. Before we move on, I thought about a different segment I wanted to add in. Oh gosh. Rob recommends. <laughs> okay. Just something I've, something or some place or something I've been digging this like past it. week that I've come across. Is it something from Friday? What happened on Friday? Is our anniversary? It was our anniversary this last Friday, five years. Let's not talk about that. Okay. If that's not your thing, let's not talk about it. Look, I recommend, <laughs> this week's recommendation is a five-year anniversary. I recommend it. I everyone. recommend being married for five years. No more, no less. This week's Rob Recommends is the back bar at a restaurant called Young Joni. In Northeast Minneapolis. Follow the red light. It's a speakeasy. Can you Google search it? Can you find yeah, the back bar? Yeah, for sure. We just discovered it this last Friday. Checked it out. And it's awesome. If you're into speakeasy, super vibey, low lit. Oh, so cozy. And tiny though. Go to the back bar. Great cocktails. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but if you're in Minneapolis, Northeast Minneapolis, you have to find it. You have to go down an alley. You have to look for the red light. And then there's a door sunken into the wall. You have to knock on it and someone will open the door and let you in. Rob recommends. Oh, I got to pee. All right. Let's cut this short. My interview with Alex Perkins, one of the few days she was stateside at Spy House Coffee. Did I keep saying Alex per- Perkins? No, but just now you did. Alex Potter. Shysta. Someone else. Alex Perkins, if you're listening to this. No, Greatest guitar tech oh. in the world. I thought that was a girl. Yes. Alex Perkins is a delight. He's Alex great. Potter, I didn't get to meet. Maybe next. But time. if she's been to the edge of the world and back, I like her already. I was mostly in Yemen, and so I left the states in 2012 because I wanted to start working in photojournalism. I had studied nursing. I was really disillusioned by the healthcare system here, what it meant to be a nurse in the states, and I knew, like, since I was 16, I wanted to do photojournalism, but I had always thought it was too competitive, it was too unsure, Um, staff jobs are rare, and I would never want to be on staff anyway. Um, So I was in Yemen for three years, almost four years actually, Um, and I loved it. I went back and forth between there and Lebanon and the States. Uh, I had a scholarship to study Arabic for a little bit, and so Yemen was the first place I kind of made a home outside of home, home, yeah, and I was very much in a place where I did not want to be in Minnesota. Like, I love Minnesota. I'm very proud to be a Minnesotan, but it was, you know, it's post-college. You want to leave. You want to get out. So I was very happy to make a home in Yemen. There was a good community. There were very few photojournalists there. And so it was something special. Like, if you can go to Yemen when the war is over, go, because it's like nothing you've ever seen before. But I had to leave very abruptly towards the end of 2015 for some security reasons. I had to leave my guitar. I was playing. I was late because I was playing my guitar. I bought a new one. I still haven't gotten one back from Yemen. Um, So that was like a really, it was a couple weeks where I was like, this isn't so ideal. Yeah. Um, Like it was just steadily getting more and more dangerous to be there. Yeah. Personally anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I took a boat to the coast or I took a car to the coast and then took a boat to Djibouti. 
which was the same way I came into the yeah. country with a friend, with yeah. many friends. Yeah, that's crazy. And then from then to Djibouti, and then where? So then, for the next year after that, I did some temp nursing jobs, which I've always done coming back here. But it was very much stuff that I did not want to be doing. It was long-term care, it was hospice, it was nursing homes, like places that someone is needed. And I like. I try to do the best I can in any job that yeah. I'm given, but I was just like shriveling. Um, just dying on the inside. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. So I had another grant to do a project about Guantanamo detainees yep. who've been released and sent not to their home countries. So then throughout 2016, I went to Georgia, Slovakia, Kazakhstan, yeah. another assignment in Kenya, another one in Ethiopia. But a lot of these which weren't, weren't the ideal form of an assignment it was like okay I'll go do this I'll yeah. sell it great but you can break even it's yeah. not like someone was yeah. paying for you and I had a good time and I liked them but I was just looking for a new home yeah. I guess and yeah. I couldn't find it for yeah. the longest time just wandering yeah um, so I spent all of last summer in Duluth working yeah. in the psych ER ward which to me was so fun was that, that awesome I loved it was it. fun the people I worked with were great yeah it was totally different than anything I'd ever done before. The psych ER ward. Yeah. Okay. So in Minnesota, but particularly in Duluth, okay. you get psych patients who come into the emergency room because they're in crisis, uh, yeah. but there's no housing. So a lot of times a, a psych patient would take up an emergency room bed for a week. Really? Yeah. So they built on a new unit. So it's like t very temporary residential psych. Um, yeah. It was fun. Yeah. I still love the people up there. They're great. So, but that ended. My contract ended September of 2016. I love that you have. There's you've been so many places <laughs> that it's hard to keep track of them. Like oh, that's so it's awesome. Like, yeah. So then, okay. So at the time, I was dating a Yemeni guy, yeah. which was why that whole last year was so super stressful. Yeah. Because it was. It was a situation where he couldn't communicate, I couldn't communicate, it was dangerous for him, yeah. I was just kind was of... Was he still over there? Yeah. Okay. Um, so it was, that. that's why I was so upset. I don't have a problem with like starting over new somewhere, yeah. but when you have to do that, plus someone you care about's in danger, plus etc. Just everything. So I was thinking like, what kind of story can I do that will help me relate my feelings with what's going on? Because yeah. like, I didn't want to do news, I just wanted a way to get out yeah. what I was going yeah. through. So I was in Germany last September, because okay. um, there was the whole refugee um, immigration crisis. Oh, yeah. uh, but a lot of times it's men, like young men who'd come by themselves, and their oh, wives yeah. would be left in left their home, at home. Yeah. So I tried to start a project about that, um, seeing what yeah. it meant, like what distance meant to a relationship. And this, yeah. honestly, this relates back to myself as yeah. well, because um, that was a, a big thing in our relationship from the beginning, I suppose, because we were always back and forth. But yeah, like, what like does, the distance between you, what that does. Yeah, not even the physical distance, yeah. but what does emotional distance do to a relationship? How can uh, that contribute to the strengthening or destruction of a relationship? Yeah. Um, so I was there for a month. It went okay, but still like didn't really jive. Um, so I came back. I went to a couple of different photo festivals just because I hadn't been around the photo community, really. Um, so I went to Boreal Bash in Mexico, which were like good photo friends who provided like some yeah. encouragement yeah. and then to the Santa Fe photo festival okay. in Santa Fe um, then it was like all right I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna try and start with the women's perspective who's stuck back in the country and see if I can yeah go from there yeah so that's why I went to Iraq okay in November 
Really? Okay, so then you were like, I'm heading to Iraq. Yeah. This is, I was like, this is my last place I'm going to try before I just come back and settle in a nursing job for like a year or something. Because um, I had always thought, okay, I will try out photojournalism. I will try it for five years. And if I don't have some sort of breakthrough where I can support myself, then it's like done, done time. And this would have been like the beginning of my fifth year yeah. going into it okay uh, question about photojournalism because I'm ignorant when no, it comes okay. to that world when I looked at your stuff your, the pictures are awesome uh, but l- hearing you talk it sounds like like it, like it sounds like the photos are sound like an excuse for the story for a story or, yeah I mean essentially what I love is storytelling I love being able to connect people whether it's showing like my grandpa that my Muslim friends are the same as his friends at Hardee's or etc. Um, or talking in front of my church or um, but photos for me just come more naturally than writing okay. I guess because it's a way that you can be involved in someone else's life but also have a little bit of a barrier yeah. between yourself and the story so you like that barrier? I do because I'm a little socially awkward like with <laughs> so strangers good. especially yeah. if I have to like be really close to their lives and at least at first the camera gives you a reason to be somewhere rather than just like oh, I'm this person who's sitting talking to you like I feel interesting strange man okay because again from the outside I naturally think of photojournalism and taking pictures as like I would think that the camera would make it more awkward. People feel uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. you feel like it lets people let their guard down almost? Well, no, it's more comfortable for me. Oh, for you. <laughs> okay, yeah. It more uncomfortable for yeah. them. But I try to make it more of a collaborative thing. You know, like yeah. either okay. the first woman that I photographed in Iraq, um, we sat and talked for a while, for yeah. an hour about her husband, but then we just sat and played with her kids and she needed a ride to town and I took yeah. a couple photos and then printed them off to her and sent them. So... Um, but I love the I love the visual image. I think one I I am not so naive in that I think a photo can change the world. I think that's kind of bullshit, honestly. <laughs> totally. There have been some situations where one photo has changed policy or something. Like a friend and mentor of mine, Ron Haviv, took one in Panama in 1999. Yeah. Uh, 1989. I'm sorry, and that spurred some political really? decisions. But otherwise, it's rare. You mentioned your grandpa, and I feel like I have. There's a connecting ground in this thought of like conservative mm-hmm. family that thinks this way about certain people. Yeah. And to be able to tell the story that makes people feel connected, I love that. Yeah, so that's different as well. Like, I guess I can't say that a photo can't change the world. Like, it's more likely than not, it will not change something on a large scale. Uh-huh. But the more you what I like to connect with people like on my level that I yeah. know like my broader community yeah, yeah. then you can change ideas mm-hmm. whether that will lead to something yeah. big man I think that's why I like your work and the stuff I've seen of it is that you so I was reading like your bio and uh, I it's like man this is so cool I can't put my finger on why I thought your bio was so cool uh, and I read it to my wife Sarah and she's like oh that, that's what you do you talked Mm -hmm. about your passion for taking something that's foreign Mm -hmm. and through photos making it familiar to people and like presenting it with a story so it's like this like in one way yeah the photo may won't maybe won't change lives but the story that's connected to the photo Mm -hmm. that could yeah i love i mean i totally relate with that of like 
you if you tell someone's story, like people, no one's no one's scary if you know like their story, or yeah. no one's weird if you know where they've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Honestly, that's why I think that's why I, in movies or in life, I end up rooting for the underdog a lot of times. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, because that's what good storytelling does. It helps you empathize with people and see their perspectives. So it's like a natural, like the underdog is like a natural like pull that you have. Well, I also think that goes back a little bit to nursing. Like a big part of nursing that's resonated with me is advocating for your patients. Yeah. sounds like an administrative word that you toss around but like helping the people who are in need get the best care possible and that can be um you know just in life there's people start off at different levels we're not all given the same privileges so yeah why should we not try and give each other a leg up Seriously, and for the and it's like for the people that can't give their own selves a leg up mm-hmm. or can't share. I mean, it sounds like that's connected with everything you're doing, like in Iraq. Mm. Like people that can't share their own stories, well, helping them. Yes. Yeah. So this is the other thing. I went to Iraq to do photos, but okay. I ended up doing nursing. Really? <laughs> yes. That's funny. Because uh, that's what it was just needed. So that's a big thing in my life that I figured out in the last year. To feel purposeful, I need to feel needed. Like, I don't need to have fun at my job. It doesn't need to be fancy. I don't need to make a lot of money, though that's, like, I'd like to be comfortable. That would be nice. (laughs) Um, But to thrive, I need to feel like I am essential to something. And so when I got to Iraq, there were hundreds of reporters. Because strange as it is, I wasn't following... um, what was going on with ISIS because yeah, yeah. I was focused on that um, couple story when I got there it was the start of the offensive to push ISIS out of Mosul and so everyone was there everybody like, was there for that that's what everybody's talking and about and so I'm here and I'm like oh my god there's more reporters than local people here and oh, man. it was really overwhelming and I was like oh, I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave I have like two more days and I'm out of here but then yeah. I heard about this um, group of medics yeah. who were treating civilians casualties in Mosul yeah. and I know it's really difficult to get into an NGO like Doctors Without Borders or ICRC yeah. um, with the experience that I had had in the States wouldn't have been like sufficient for them even though yeah. I had worked in the emergency department yeah. I hadn't worked overseas before yeah. um, interesting so you're just already there so you almost like bypassed all like the things you would have had to do to get there to do if you were going there well, to do nursing maybe like for the people that I ended up working with because okay. it was a very small group like yeah. young guys unofficial yeah um, and it was a like a U-turn from everything I had ever like positioned myself in before like yeah. um, so the contact I had first is this guy named Derek Coleman hi Derek you're in California now because he left Iraq um, and then Pete Reed who is a former Marine okay. who had gone back to Iraq to yeah. help train the Peshmerga which are the Kurdish um, the Kurdish military okay. so Kurds it's like an ethnic group in northern Iraq yeah. they want to have a referendum for their own country yeah. uh, that's another tangent for another day so he went there to train them did um, some medical training with them yeah. and then ended up kind of falling in with the Iraqi military medics treating civilians because none of the the international aid community hadn't stepped up at all there were camps galore and people had housing but as far as trauma response um, like emergency medical there was nothing 
And so because these guys, most of them were former military, most of them were very comfortable working next to, as we're going to use the, the official term, co-located. Co-located. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, with the military, yeah. whereas most NGOs are like, no, that's impartial, that's bad. Yeah. It's like, you know, people stick to their boxes. So it's like, you guys are all dudes. I'm a nurse. Yeah. I'm a woman. There are w- female casualties, and I speak Arabic, so I yeah. can help you. you please let to. me come help you. And inside, I'm like, please let me go. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to go home. Yeah. Um, they got back to me a few days later, and like, sure, why not? So you had just heard about them, and then you just cold called them, essentially. Yeah. Like, there These was, guys are over there. There was a few like articles about them, and I got their number from a friend and yeah. colleague. And man. Yeah. That's awesome. And so then you go over there and they're like, yep, come on over. And you find yourself just doing... Yeah, well, I found out later that they were super doubtful as to whether I'd last more than a day. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I loved it. I mean, it was... I love trauma. I love emergency medicine. I deal with really that stress environment. Yeah, well, and emergency medicine in the States is totally different than what we've seen over there. Like, I... A hospital here, even in Chicago, wouldn't see all of the injuries that we saw in a month period in the 10 years. <laughs> These guys are military, so it would almost be well, like a war hospital. So the Iraqi medics are active military, okay. so it's their their medical wing of the Iraqi Special okay, Forces. Yeah. But the guys that were part of this NGO, and it was the first one before January, um, yeah. they were former military, so they're not okay. active duty, yeah. they're not even in the reserves, yeah. it was just like... They were comfortable in a conflict zone. They knew how to navigate it. They knew how to anticipate what would come next. That was with a a Slovak NGO called the Academy of Emergency Medicine prior to January. And then in January, Pete and Derek and John, who is another uh, medic, formed the formed global response management yeah um, what it is today so and man and it all just like fell into place yeah and it was the first time in so long that i felt like i had a community that i had a like a family Uh, away from my family that i was needed somewhere so that's why i stayed for so long even though you're seeing like dead kids and bodies and people in pieces is like not that that is enjoyable but yeah, not that that is just... I just love seeing dead bodies. It's just a passion of mine, <laughs> no, the dead bodies. No, but, you know, like, there's a type of person who can deal really well with yeah. with trauma. And I think nursing helped prepare me for that yeah. as well. Because death is a process, and it's not just a state of being. And yeah. People are going through the worst time in their life with from, you know, against the worst enemy the world has ever yeah. seen, which is ISIS. Um, and the fact that I can communicate with them in Arabic whereas most of the team didn't speak Arabic and that I have the wherewithal to stay calm and treat people um, I liked that I was good at it tell me this I because I have a couple questions come to mind from that that story and one is you seem like you're super empathetical about people and that seems like it's the only way you could do what you do with photojournalism and all your stuff is to connect with people and that to me seems like it would be a hindrance to someone that would thrive yeah in like seeing dead bodies and like like working medical yeah so this is another reason why i like emergency and why i like trauma yeah because you treat them you teach them and then you tell them to go home yeah Um, it's just in out you're fine yeah so i mean i learned a lot from the medics who were there even though i'm like have more typical education but i had never been in a conflict zone so 
getting in the zone learning something puts you in a different in a different mindset but I could not even imagine but but it is true like when we had patients who were really badly wounded and Mm -hmm. I had to focus on that that's fine you know it's like military age male you expect it it was more bothersome when it was kids or or women um and when we'd get like 50, 60, 70 patients like that a day, like yeah. 20 deaths at the, at the height of it, yeah, it was yeah. difficult. Um, but it was more difficult for me because I understand what they're saying. It's disturbing for anyone, the kind of things that we're seeing over there, but uh, I, I tend to internalize the emotional things. So that's yeah. why I could never work on a cancer floor. I could never work in a, in a, on a hospital floor where you take care of a patient for a long period of time and you, you build that emotional with bond with them exactly yeah. this is also why I liked the intensive care unit because yeah. your patients are unconscious <laughs> they're unconscious yeah, seriously. yeah as bad as it sounds no like. not at all I hope this isn't too personal no have no, you dealt no. with like a, um, like PTSD or something coming back like after these situations well, I think this is a good question and I, I like when people address it because it's such a taboo thing like whether it's in the military I, and I haven't been in the military, so I don't know how veterans deal with it, um, other than my relationships with people who are close to it. Um, but with photojournalists as well, it's becoming more of a conversation, but it's usually... Within photojournalists, I've never thought about that, because yeah. they're seeing it all too, they're in it. But You're a hearing totally explosions. different way. Yeah. Like, I think I have dealt with this better than if I would have photographed the conflict. Because if I would have photographed it, even though the camera is a barrier, you're just, you're photographing and you're sending the message, but at least I have the feeling that I am physically doing something to change it. But they also don't get their hands so deep. <laughs> that is an interesting juxtaposition. Like you're, you're getting your, literally your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of like you're doing something. Yeah. But as far as like PTSD, I haven't, I am going to a therapist next week. I want to talk to somebody. Yeah. Just to have, like, a neutral party. Um, so I, nobody can diagnose you. But, yeah, there's definitely trauma that is carried. Like, and I can tell when I need a break. Like, I needed a break at the end of July. Because it was just a really dark period in the battle. Like, I would get angry all the time. You know, I'd want to... Like, it starts messing with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, but, I mean, if you have the ability to just, like cry or play music or yeah. deal with it in healthy yeah. ways as long as it doesn't take over your life i think like grief is kind of a process so i don't think it's a bad thing to feel things like that man that is interesting it's interesting to think of grief as a release valve mm-hmm. like it's got to go somewhere like it just things like that i can't speak from any sort of experience but i can't imagine like it just is going to take care of itself mm-hmm. just disappear over time yeah and i think when you do process it in a healthy, with little doses of unhealthy yeah, way, yeah. Um, it's better than locking it away. Yeah. Okay, this other thing that comes to mind when you're talking about this story, I'm fascinated by um, something I can connect with is this thought of you have this idea of something you want to do. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm going to do. I want like this thing of photojournalism. This is my goal. And then you head off in that direction and you realize there's not necessarily a need for that Mm -hmm. and I feel like when you're saying you need to be needed you need to feel feel like having like you have a point Mm -hmm. I feel like that's really underrated in conversations about life purpose Mm -hmm. 
I, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about look for a need first, mm-hmm. and by filling that need, you're going to find a lot of like satisfaction. Yeah. Has that been a big like learning curve for you? I think it's something we inherently know, but it's not something we can always verbalize. Okay. There's this one diagram I saw, right, and I don't remember the fourth pillar of it, but one is somewhere you're needed. Second is something you like to do. Yeah. Like something useful, something you like to do, something that can make money. And yeah. then there was like a fourth, yeah. whatever. And they all come together. And in the middle, it says that's your calling. Okay. Um, it was the fourth one, like something you're good at. I think I maybe had seen that. Okay, like, that. like you naturally. Okay. Yeah. So we all, a lot of people tend to hit two or three of them, but it's yeah, really and hard to hit four. Yeah. And for me, I can't hit all four with one. Like I can't hit all four with just nursing or just photojournalism. And that's why I like... Yeah, interesting. Okay. Oh, So over this past year, like, I've also... Like, the medical work has given me a lot of flexibility to also have assignments. Yeah. And so I thought it was strange that I wasn't really, really pushing to get assignments, but I got three, now four, like a fourth one coming up for publications that I've always wanted to work for. And it was, like, the ideal week-long... It, you know they were great and so I That's was awesome. really grateful to have that man I guess my question is when I first was going to meet up with you I was going to talk like all this photojournalism stuff but to me it almost seems like the question is finding like how do you find that um, that place within the four categories you're talking about like finding your sweet spot did you do you feel like you stumbled in it do you feel like you're in your sweet spot right now I feel like now I'm in my sweet You're spot because I can combine the two. Okay. Um, but it's difficult yeah. because I had to choose going into college. Like I had to make the conscious choice. Okay, I will major in nursing because uh, even though I like it, it's not a passion. Passion yeah. at the time, like oh, it's a financial fallback. Honest, to be honest, oh, yeah, which a sure. lot of people don't want to admit, but yeah. it is because <laughs> yeah. it's something that's solid and will always be there for you. But then photo, it's something I feel fulfills the creative and the adventurous and storytelling side of me. But it's really difficult to make a living just on photography. I don't want to say in our economy today, but like in the world today, I don't think it's a bad thing to have multiple professions. And I think almost everyone has to. This artist I was playing with, I just assumed he made all his money from music. But it turned out he has apartments in Nashville, like other sources of income that he Mm -hmm. rents out. Uh, and everybody has that. It just people don't talk about it. Exactly. So we just assume that everybody's just doing this one awesome thing. Yep. And then you assume you're a failure in life because you can't make it work. And especially in the especially in the arts. And you know, what? I I prefer to have a second career than to have to do, um, for example, commercial assignments that I don't care about. Um, you should. I shouldn't say I don't care about. X assignment, but like yeah. if I'm gonna do something for an advertising firm that I know isn't in my vision, yeah. like I don't want to do it. I'd rather yeah. spend a week in the ICU, yeah. or, or honestly. Man, it's funny because that in our like in the creative world, whatever it is, the helping world, whatever, mm-hmm. it's that's we internally view that as a cop out. Yeah. Like yeah. I, no one else views it as a cop out. You say that, and I'm instantly, instantly like, yep, that makes a hundred percent sense. But internally. Oh man, am I, am I giving up? Yeah, I also have a different, a little bit of a different view of money than I yeah. did right coming out of college. I yeah. had, I realize now like what money can provide. I don't want to be rich, but like if I have a family someday, I want to be able to 
give them a nice life you know yes. that doesn't mean like buying a speedboat and giving them a ferrari but that means like being able to do their masters if they want like i'm still paying off my student loans um i yeah i'm with you <laughs> paying um, off my student loans for years yeah and i know my life will be really different because i grew up in a small town where i had both sets of grandparents uh two sets of like aunts and uncles yeah. there to like help and yeah. my dad was always telling me this back when i had like a poverty complex in college like nobody these i was studying in india and i was just thinking these people don't have anything why should i have anything and yeah. he's like do you want to help these people you need to have money to help them yeah. and so yeah i want to be able to do good with what i achieve as well yeah it totally it takes money that's a really good point i think there is something to be said about that and it sounds like that is kind of part of your whole story too of like if you have like have interest be curious about different things mm -hmm. and dip it and the things that connect you almost can't plan on like who would have known who would have known a cold call yeah. to this thing uh, <laughs> doing medical work would have opened up relationships yeah, absolutely. and everything it has. I mean, I, this thing is called Rob Morgan's a curious person. So uh -huh. I'm obviously like, I'm, I'm not trying to steer all the conversations that way, but it's so true. No, like but that, I, I, that's a, what was popping into my head and I forgot that that was the name, the title yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. I'm totally curious about life. Yeah. I am curious about everything. Yeah. Do you feel like that has, like that curiosity has led you to where have the experiences you've had yeah absolutely i mean that's why i left the country that's why i studied abroad in college that's yeah. why you know yeah that's awesome that's why I'm you lift up the rock and find the the worms or the frogs or whatever yeah. is underneath it <laughs> yeah man this that's so cool uh man i want to be respectful of your time i know you got to run going in here but thanks for hanging out yeah of course and, like, well, happy to Hey guys, this is Rob with just a quick note before you head off into your week. I just wanted to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to any of you that have rated, commented, or subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Also, thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and shared your stories of how these interviews or some of these conversations have impacted you, have inspired you. Man, that has been so awesome to hear. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact, and I'd love to hear your stories or any just questions you may have for me. Hey, while you're over there, if you want to check out show notes for this or any of the other interviews I've done or contact info for this guest or any of the others, head over to thecuriouspod.com for any of that. And also, I'm really pumped about this. We have a map right there on the front of the website that shows all the locations that these interviews and conversations have taken place. It's pretty cool. You can click on it. You can see where these have done. If you want to go visit them, if you've heard something you like and you want to go check it out for yourself, that's right there. Or you can just check it out at thecuriouspod.com slash map or just right there on the front of the website. I'll show. I'll show. <laughs> Also, if you want to reach out to me on social media or follow me anywhere, pretty much everything online is the Rob Morgan at the Rob Morgan, whatever you, you, you know, the drill. All right. Enough of that nonsense. All this podcasting has made me thirsty. You know, <laughs> I am so pumped that I do not have to deal with sponsors for this podcast or else I'd have to tell you podcasting makes me thirsty and nothing quenches a podcast thirst whether you're listening uh, interviewing editing recording listening to something unrelated to a podcast nothing 
quenches the thirst like a Guinness. Hey, Hofi, can I steal you for a second? Do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? I'd like to take a minute to thank Guinness because it truly is made of more. That's all. All right. That's it. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I love that crap. All right. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Anything else? Thanks for being here. Say the most random thing you can think of. No. Yell it. I got nothing. The only word I can think of is formaldehyde. <laughs> Perfect.